Hello, and welcome to a Making a Better New podcast. My name is Stephen Keshashen. I'm a fourth year here at New College studying economics. I'm also a student employee at the Office of Outreach and Inclusive Excellence. Today, I have the privilege and honor of having a great conversation reflecting back at 2020 and 2020, the academic year midpoint with Dr. Woodson. Good morning, Stephen. How are you this morning? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I woke up nice and early. It's uh, cold outside. I'm in Virginia, <laughs> but I'll get used to it. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, happy to be on my uh, winter holiday break. By way of introduction, uh, let me introduce myself, Bill Woodson, Dean of Outreach and Chief Diversity Officer for New College of Florida, also uh, Chair of the Committee for Campus Climate and Culture and Dean of the Office of Outreach and Inclusive Excellence. Mm-hmm. Uh, to give a little background before we begin the process, you and I have known each other, I think. We're hitting our two-year mark of knowing each other. I think I met you during a student inter- interview for the position, and uh, the moment you touched down on campus, I've been, you know, by your side or on your back, depending on the situation. Um, we've had a really <laughs> good working relationship. We've We've politely disagreed on certain issues, but we've continued to move forward in the sense of we're both shareholders in this wonderful community and want to see it shine. 2020, the academic year has been wild, I think. We have, your office has been able to accomplish a lot, but there's still a lot more to do as is the nature of this work. It's never ending work. Um, what, What are you most proud of this fall? You know, there's, it was a lot of, lot going on. And if you're looking at it from the end, the standpoint of the academic year, I would say the, the fact that we, and I say we broadly, uh, staff and faculty and, and students for that matter, that people approached what could have been, what was, was a very scary semester and uh, people put their head down and kept doing good quality work, uh, oftentimes excellent quality work. The trainings that we did on inclusive campus climate workshops and then virtual webinars were very well received. We had uh, one final session of those workshops, uh, bringing the total to six virtual workshops and two face-to-face workshops, uh, over 240 faculty and staff signed up to participate. And that is just exciting. So that was a real nice uh, high to hit that milestone. In terms of the academic year, uh, the fact that we moved into the month of August with uh, our department being a department of one myself and that we're now up to uh, three, along with uh, three uh, energetic student workers, uh, but three full-time staff. That's an important milestone as well, and uh, really excited to see the department starting to function as a department, and very excited to have uh, Stacy Campo, C.C. Linton, and Mike Jones uh, have joined the team now to uh, move the work on both the outreach side as well as the uh, diversity and inclusion side forward. Awesome. And you know, if I can look at it, I, I was amazed to see how outreach work was able to continue to happen 
even during COVID-19, to be able to get so many members of our community and the Sarasota community invested in New College in an organization during a hard recession and a global pandemic, we still be able to reach out to community. And the amazing work of transitioning those um, workshops from in-person to virtual and pretty much as a one was a one-man show change everything and then even prep the office to launch pad in in this year is an amazing thing um, we even had our mid-year celebration where we honored awesome uh, faculty staff and students so we're coming together as a community um, and that's it's it's been it's there have been things where i look at as not only an employee in the office but as a student say these are things that we, we we should have had at new college but we didn't but now we do because the office is realizing that we need to congratulate certain students and continue to push them even staff members and recognize the greatness we have in our community um, recognition is so important and i really applaud stacy campo for having the vision and the drive to, uh, to to see that need and to respond to it with the mid-year celebration which i think was very well received and and absolutely we have a history of many members of our community doing quality work, needed work, valuable work that uh, we don't necessarily recognize, don't necessarily take time to celebrate. So uh, that's been another joy as well is to see uh, that you've got the right people in the job. Uh, we've identified some great talent who are bringing their own ideas to move the campus forward, both from uh, a community outreach perspective as well as from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective. So it's been gratifying. For sure. We're looking forward to 2021 and it's an exciting year for everyone because hopefully we'll get the vaccine, but it's also an exciting year for the office. What did you look forward to accomplishing in 2021? Well, back this time, even a few months earlier, so maybe 14, 16 months ago, we had a roadmap, a vision for what the work we were going to do on the diversity and inclusion side and the inclusive campus climate workshops that we launched in January were just the first phase of a multi-phase approach. So uh, the timetable has shifted a bit. The pandemic will do that to you. But we are now looking to launch what we're calling a context for discourse uh, workshops which will be thematic workshops on various uh, topics of interest to those who are looking to build their acumen and their, uh, their knowledge base from a uh, diversity and inclusion standpoint. We'll be exploring topics like uh, generational trauma, misogyny, uh, the intersection of race-based policymaking and immigration policy. Uh, there's a, a number of great topics. Some of the speakers for those topics will be uh, members of our community who have that expertise. Sometimes we'll bring in outside expertise to explore those themes. But those themes will not just be explored in a workshop, they'll be points of departure because we're gonna follow that up with what we're calling kitchen table conversations. And that will allow the folks who are drawn to learn more about a particular theme to explore that in small groups, uh, utilizing the skills and capacities uh, that we've, been seeking to impart with the inclusive campus climates workshops 
we're also going to be leveraging uh, intergroup dialogue as a technique for uh, building skills and building comfort in having real candid conversations. And those conversations will be held by groups that will include faculty, staff, and students. And one of the important aspects of those conversations is to build that opportunity to connect with people who we wouldn't otherwise interact with, but who we share that common uh, identity of being a new college community member. In my opinion, this is extremely important because our history hasn't always reinforced how we see that community membership as being an important value. And when people don't feel connected in a community, it makes it harder for them to show empathy. It, show, it makes it harder for them to uh, be able to, to speak truth, to uh, reflect on values, to help people understand when there's a bump in the road, when there's a bit of maybe a, a mistake is made, a, uh, you know, interactions inadvertently cause friction. If we don't have relationship, we don't have the capacity or, or the comfort to, to speak in the moment and to speak not with anger, but with just a reflection of, hey, this was a concern and let's figure out how to uh, navigate through this. Let me help you understand why what you did might have been uh, frustrating for me, or or or, or uh, I might have been, I felt marginalized by by your behavior. We have to build that capacity for intervening in a timely way, but also in a way that's kind and considerate when we move when we are in, in interaction. Because frankly, to be in community with others means that from time to time, offense will be given inadvertently most typically but we haven't we don't have a history as a community of responding well to those slights we tend to either be silent or feel that we can't speak into the moment and resentment builds mm -hmm. or we tend to lash out and that is problematic and then so sure. we, need, we need to, to, to build sure. skills and build that sense of community. And I think these kitchen table conversations will be a space to do that. Yeah. And then I just wanted to kind of pinpoint a couple of things you mentioned where it's, we, we, we've been on the campus climate committee together from culture and we've, we've spoken about these issues. And interestingly enough, there, you know, I never agreed with you about this. We need to, you know, this whole talky talk thing and come and then, I was always one in favor of we need to legislate change first, but I get where you're coming from now, the more time we spend together in this, like, if I'm around a campus full of people that understand that as this type of person, I'm dealing with these issues because they've been informed by the institution, I'll have an easier time talking about them, um, kind of creating this more level of understanding and kind of taking the um, the you know, the labor of the individual who's feeling them like lowering that level of labor to, to talk because you, you'd have to explain the concept first and I'm like well you know historically this that's why I feel this way now the, the the campus is offering that information to the entire community so it's for those who actually are interested in in learning you know they, they don't have to go you know like tap their one black colleague so 
BLM, what's that about? Like, you know, we will, and, and those conversations, you know, they happen more often than not. Like, I, like I've become, I think, an Israeli-Palestinian expert just by being on this campus. How many questions I've been asked? I've been like, yeah, let me check that up. I don't know, actually. I just kind of lived the experience as a Lebanese person back then, but okay. So understanding that we're, we're, we're coming from a really good faith place, a good place where we, we're, we're not saying that we have community members who don't care. We're, we're saying is we're going to offer everyone the resources and we know that the people we have here are going to come together and learn and then hopefully be able to also legislate change on an institutional level, because that's always important in my opinion, but also build the community in a way where we can have these conversations and, and there's, and people are in silence because it's the silencing that causes the lashing out, in my opinion. But, that's right, that's right. You, you've mentioned, there's, there's three things in what you've said that really resonate for me. And one is the dynamic, the tension between driving change through legislation, if you will, I like that term, versus by uh, encouraging and modeling the behaviors that we're hoping people to address. And, and maybe my, so I want to just to talk about that for a moment. I think the experience that I've had looking at policing very closely for uh, my doctoral dissertation and recognizing that as much as positive intentions might be uh, in place to, for fairness, and, that you, and despite the fact that there's plenty of laws in place, it's not legal for people to kill people. Uh, and yet we have a thousand people every year die at the hands of law enforcement which is a problem which is not a problem that's sanctioned per se by legislation but the problem is because of the 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 perceptions and the uh worldview that the people in these interactions law enforcement and the community are when those those perceptions are not serving to have effective interactions and positive outcomes you have a fearful community, you have a law enforcement uh, that doesn't understand oftentimes the community that they're policing, you have expectations that are at, at odds with each other because if I'm walking in my neighborhood, I don't expect a law enforcement officer to ask me to, to stop me and ask me to produce ID. So that's a conflict of my expectations. If I'm a law enforcement officer, I expect everyone to respect me and trust me and if I'm policing a, a, a poor community that feels the presence of policing is oppressive, my expectation of how I'm perceived and how the community is perceiving me is not going to match. And when you combine that with the deadliness of, you know, firearms and uh, and and the kind and, and 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 the fearfulness, you have bad outcomes. And you can predict it, even though the legis the law does not, you know, should facilitate a positive outcome. Mm -hmm. It is a, is a, there's a correlation with what we have here on the campus where we have power differentials, whether they're based on status as faculty, staff, or student, or male or female, black or white, Christian, Jew, Muslim. And these dynamics exist that, and, and the perceptions are not aligned. And then we don't have the skills to understand that what seems like a conflict of interest may just be a conflict of expectations or a lack of knowledge. And so we've got to build that capacity and we're not going to get there from legislation. We have to have uh, people brought in and skilled up 
And then we have to have a level of trust, which isn't a part of our culture right now, that people do care about our feelings and are willing to learn and to adapt their behavior to support a more positive community. And I really want to hop on this, but this is your interview. So I'm going to move on to the next question. Oh, no. will... <laughs> what, 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 what is sparking up for you? Well, for me, it was just like the interpretation, right? And it's interesting to see how people's perception and outlook affects law because law enforcement isn't held accountable because the people in power that are, you know, are interpreting this legislation have the same views as those in law enforcement or may have you know, a racially biased view, whatever it may be in these different categories. But my main dynamic is, shift has been the idea of cancel culture, right? Or the, you can't say this or you can't, why? Because you just can't. And what that does, it just offers a very surface level um, understanding of the issue, which I think really robs people from understanding how complex things are, but it actually makes them resent. I, telling a person you can't do something is the quickest way to piss them off, in my opinion. And when it's come with me, you know, talking to many international students, being an international student, student myself, whenever I asked, why can't I say that people were offended? I'm like, I just came to this country in 2017. I'm going to need a little bit more leeway. And you know, we have to meet people where we are. And I think when we legislate things, a lot of times there just become these you can't rules. So that's why I'm more on board, but I'm still a strong advocate for legislation. Um, that was a great answer. It was a nice. Uh, but and, with but see, I love what you just pointed out as your example of, hey, I'm new here. This is a new issue for me. You, can someone slow down and explain to me the why? Because that's a key piece of why uh, one of the many reasons why diversity is so valuable because if we come in, in a homogeneous space it's very hard to evaluate what are your underlying assumptions what are your beliefs that everybody should know a b c x y z it's impossible to be critical of your own culture your own training your own your own lens through which you're seeing the world unless you have a chance to interact with other people who have different lenses and different life experiences and when we get better dealing across lines of difference, it makes us better with the next difference that we may come across. And the world is increasingly, it's smaller and smaller. We're gonna have more and more interaction with people who have different points of view, different life experiences. And we owe it to, especially our students, to skill them up in being able to navigate a world with those differences. And so that excites me. And that's one of the things I think you asked me about, what am I looking forward to in 2021, is seeing some of the fruits of that labor as we build that skill level for our faculty and staff, and therefore create space for our students to have uh, be exposed to that higher level of skillfulness as well. I'm also looking forward to integrating more of these principles into the classroom and helping our faculty help our students engage in difference more effectively as a part of the classroom discussion dynamic. Mm -hmm. And then this is a quick throwback to when we spoke about diversifying new college when you during the interview, this is one of the things you hit critically and I see it more more so with this is how we're also going to bring international students in because um, we haven't done a good job at that. And now we have the tools. We're building the tools. I don't say I'm not saying mission accomplished yet to make this a more friendly environment for international students. Um, and I'm excited for that. And I also want to mention something that, that you haven't mentioned, that we have the financial literacy office. So there's so much class division on this campus. 
when it comes to resources and the office is tackling that. Um, we have Cece um, and I'm excited to see the work because I see as someone who's come in, who's, you know, demonstrated financial need, whatever you want to use that word, I've seen the institution not even consider it just lower income students when it comes to certain things. Um, That's been a real so weak area for us, a real gap area is, is our, in our discomfort with even identifying or acknowledging that we have students on our campus who are in, in poverty and you know, coming from low income situations or have families that are, no, are not providing financial support. We have homeless students who are part of our community. And if we try to sort of ignore that that's a dynamic in an effort to be more egalitarian and treat everyone the same, we're gonna end up missing out on opportunities and really mandates to provide care and support so that every student has the resources that they need to navigate this community successfully and get the education that they deserve. Uh, we, uh, for example, this is the first year that we are uh, intentionally keeping our dorms open over the winter break for a very small number of students who we've identified as not having a place to go when the dorms are closed over, you know, over these break periods. In the past, we said, hey, everyone go to your homes, come back in January or in February, if you're not an ISP, and didn't deal with the fact that some people didn't have a place to go to during the winter break. So we're, we're, we're getting better, we're more intentional. And CeCe Linton's uh, hiring and providing a focal point for financial literacy and uh, navigation. These are actually a, a, a suite of tools and capabilities that are going to be benefit to not just low-income students. Every student should know about making a budget, uh, you know, how to, uh, you know, st saving strategies, how to open an, an, a checking account, a savings account, how to use a credit card wisely. All of our students need those skills and many of our students from all kinds of financial backgrounds don't have them and this can be a place where they can get that. But those skills are critical for the high need, low financial resource student. And we're, we're now addressing that head on for the first time. And that's change in new college. That's, that's real change we're seeing this year. And, it, and I feel like in 2021, when I leave, I'm leaving the institution, it's a better place than it was when I first came in. Um, and I just want to say thank you to everyone that's put in the work from housing to student affairs, all the employees and uh, to the office that I work in. Shout out to myself, right? <laughs> um, I did want to... You're doing good work. You can deserve a, a pat on the back. <laughs> from myself, <laughs> right? It's not going to help with my humble issue. <laughs> so, you know, we're looking at this year in retrospect, what would you have changed? Because there's so many moving parts. You're not, you know, I say the saying, dropping the ball is one thing, but when you're juggling 10, it's easy for one to fall off. Um, so what would you have done differently? One thing you think about, like, man, I could have done this. The, the two things I would have liked to have done, I would have loved to have moved forward with uh, building a staff sooner. I, I think I got immediately into a sort of operational mode and uh, we got a lot of good things done. And, uh, you know, being able to, have the resources from the uh, president's office to hire an outside consultant really extended our, our, our reach. And so we were able to get the training piece uh, pretty much accomplished uh, on plan 
uh, at least that first phase with the inclusive campus climate uh, workshops and webinars. But I, we did not move as quickly on the staffing piece. Uh, like I said, just now uh, getting the staff in place that would have been great to have had them throughout 2020 and maybe even uh, the second half of 2019, but, but they're here now. And so I think that's, that's a piece that uh, might've done a little bit differently. Uh, and I think that we, this podcast idea and uh, frankly also getting articles out, uh, I think there needs to be more visibility to the work that we're doing. And I think that, uh, again, I can get caught up in the operational and uh, maybe to take a little bit more time to articulate the vision and to keep people informed as to the work that we're doing, the progress that we're making. I would have liked to put in a bit more effort on that. Uh, any parting words, Dr. Woodson? <laughs> you also got to tell people how to uh, provide input to the uh, Committee on Campus Climate and Culture. You want to give a shout out to 4C at ncf.edu for that type of feedback. And that's a nice, easy one to remember, 4C at ncf.edu. And also, how do they find this podcast? We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and I think Google Podcasts, also on Podbean. Um, the links will be shareable through our flow page, and there are. So when you're on Instagram, you can find your link, and it'll direct you to our podcast page. Um, there'll be reminder posts every time we post something on all our platforms. You can sign up for notifications to receive on any of your favorite platforms. So we are wherever you are. Um, and that's the great thing about having this type of reach is that if you ever want to hear us speak, you can. And if you, you know, if you want to, I'm not pushing you, but it's and, a great podcast. And Stephen, I, I do want to give you a shout out, not just for pr producing this uh, session today, but also for doing the engineering on the back end for all of our podcasts up to date. This is uh, episode four, and uh, I did a lot of work on the back end to make this happen. So. So thank you for your tireless efforts in that regard. Really appreciate you. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. You know, when I first signed up to add the podcast, I, I didn't know what I'm doing. And after three podcasts, I can clearly say I don't know what I'm doing. But it's still <laughs> the whole I came from nothing and I'm still nothing, but I'm still trying to make the podcast you're, better and better. You got to give yourself more credit than that, brother, but you're doing well, man. We really appreciate you. All right. Thank you. Yeah, happy holidays. Uh, look forward to seeing everyone in 2021. Be safe and take care. Bye.